and welcome to Fraud uh, Busting New Frauds podcast. It is the only podcast for female fraud professionals and their allies who want to stay on top of the fraud awareness spectrum in order to thrive professionally while maximizing their happiness and having the courage to create the life they love. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the Neo Frouse podcast. I'm Olga Albi, your host today. And uh, today we also have a special guest. Uh, this is Rwanda London. Um, she's a subject matter expert uh, in payments and fraud. Um, some of the listeners perhaps already are familiar with uh, uh, her and her expertise. Um, and today we will be adding more for everyone to learn. Uh, but before uh, we do that, let me give Rolanda a very uh, quick moment to uh, one more time introduce herself to the audience. Hi, hi, Rolanda. Hi, Olga. Thanks again for having me. I'm excited to come back and share some more thoughts. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for doing this and thanks for your time. Um, it's definitely wonderful uh, for me to have you as a guest once uh, again, simply because um, of uh, so much knowledge that you have and the very interesting topics that you can offer to the listeners. Um, and so let's, uh, let us introduce without further ado, the topics for today's episode and those are card fraud everyone <laughs> it is very important that we say card fraud um i know a lot of people in the space even if we've been doing it for quite some time we say credit card fraud we refer to everything as credit card fraud and i'm a stickler for nomenclature it's kind of the same way when people say pin number in atm machine it's technically your you're um you're saying something incorrectly without realizing it sometimes yeah. because you're just so accustomed to hearing it that way. Uh, one of the issues I say about calling everything credit card fraud is that we is we in the merchant side we see more than just credit cards and and I think we take that for granted sometimes. Um, with consumer spending habits being very different between card products, um, also risk factors being very different between card products. Uh, the behaviors on different products are um, something that should be studied and analyzed when considering how to make rules and optimize your um, your strategy when combating card fraud as a whole. Um, and by making sure we are separating the products out or considering the products out as different things, we understand the differences between the consumer behaviors associated with those card products. Okay, well, uh, thanks so much, Rolanda, for um, presenting this uh, important clarification for our listeners. I am hoping that uh, they will be learning from today's episode for uh, the future of usage of the cards and uh, being participants in the different, you know, transactions and uh, all that comes with it, the risk <laughs> and no risk, everything. Um, all right, and um, the following um, topic that would be great for us to touch on um, is uh, doing a little bit of a deeper view 
of uh, the usage of the cards and, and the fraud and the risk that comes with it. Could you speak on that one a little bit more? Oh, yeah. So when I look at card uh, fraud as a whole, and I begin to look at the different products, you have deb debit cards, prepaid cards, um, credit cards, uh, you have the preloadable cards, right? And mm -hmm. store valued card, stored value cards. There's so many different things. We have wallets. There's so many different ways mm -hmm. to make a payment with the card or wallet, um, even with tokenization coming as a fact coming in as a factor as well, which we can touch on as well. Um, one of the things that um, I always think about is the fact that when I see cards coming through the, in a payment ecosystem with gibberish names, um, and, and this these are not these are names that or maybe the same name with a thousand different card numbers, right? Um, when we look at this, I, I would get when training investigators and, and training other people on how to look at that data, and they'd say, "Why does this one person have a thousand cards? Like, who has that many cards?" I'm like, "It's if they're using it." to just test cards or show cards that are um, active for some reason. It could be a low dollar amount on preloadable cards where the name doesn't actually matter on that card, right? Mm -hmm. um, with a credit card or with a debit card that's to connected to a bank account, you have to think about synthetic identities, identity theft, or is it just that the card credentials or the card numbers are just stolen or compromised in some way? Um, so how fraudsters introduce these cards in your ecosystem can look appear very differently, whether it's the same fraudsters or different fraudsters using um, the same, using a group of cards, but if it's different products, they may use them differently. Uh, so I think it's important for us as investigators and fraud fighters to distinguish between this, these if we don't already, so we can understand the needs and behaviors and um, the strategies associated with um, protecting ourselves from certain types of payment fraud on different types of card products. Um, the network requirements on different uh, networks can be different, right? So the, you know, Visa has their chargeback rules, MasterCard has theirs, you know, Discover, uh, Amex has theirs, everyone has their own rules with how to, how to deal with uh, chargebacks and, and the, and the um, compliance associated with you know, excessive, excessive chargeback rates and what that means for your, for your uh, company, right? So you want to have a good understanding of what networks these cards are flowing through. One of the things that's become important is with, especially in the U.S. domestically, with Reg II increasing the capability of domestic debit cards um, in, in card in our present environment for pinless debit opportunities, this increases our visibility or the usage in networks that weren't used as widely in a card in our present environment. Even though they had already existed and have been used for a very long time, the capability of cards coming online with access to that those networks um, is changing quite rapidly this year and so they can comply with the new regulation. Um, so understanding how these cards may present different risk factors on different networks that weren't traditionally always as, as a part of the ecosystem as strongly or represented as strongly as Visa and MasterCard or Interlink or, or, or other debit networks have been represented before. So uh, if you are experiencing an increase in card fraud, um, but haven't yet learned whether or not it's a debit card, a credit card or a prepaid card, 
uh, you may want to do that, that little bit of extra digging to see what's actually impacting you because it may be something associated with, um, especially if it's, say if it's a U.S. domestic card spike, it may be something associated with this, the new increase in capability for U.S. domestic cards for issuers trying to comply with the new regu regulation. Um, so the strategy behind that would take some work with your payment service partners and things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much, Rolanda, for this very interesting and insightful overview of different uh, risks associated with the different uh, payment processing environments and the types of products um, in cards. Um, thank you for, for, for this wonderful advice for uh, future investigations um, to be taking the first step, you know, in order to understand the product. Um, that is linked to the obvious risks first prior to making any any conclusions uh so so that um, the analysis will be you know more successful for them that's that's wonderful and I hope that our audiences will appreciate very much you know listening to uh, these insights and and uh, tips um and uh, perhaps benefiting uh in their future work. Um, all right. Um, I am curious to ask a couple more questions for you. One is I am really hungry to hear a real, true fraud crime example <laughs> from you. Anyone you like to share with audiences, which is always interesting and cool listen to um and then uh, lastly uh you've mentioned to tokenization you know um so something being innovative uh for the technologies is always nice to be um you know talked about uh in order for the audiences to learn more and obviously to learn about the associated risks and the associated issues uh not necessarily risk related uh, well, I, I'd appreciate if you uh, gave us a little bit of a light on, on this. Thank you. Yeah, I think that one example, um, a lot of times I know we as merchants, for those, those of us on the merchant side of things, we kind of see similar things. And sometimes I think it's helpful to mention what, uh, what people see on the issuing side. So I can give an example from the issuing perspective um, and just kind of tie it into what the merchant may see. So on the issuing side, uh, there was a financial institution I worked for that got, there was a brute force attack. Um, in that attack, there was one particular retailer that was associated with it, a, a department store. And we had a lot of cards being used at this one department store but they were also using them to test them online in e-commerce environment as well. Uh, the cars themselves were basically tested and um, online for online purchases for something that would charge like a dollar. It was like a, mm -hmm. it had like a free trial for an online calendar. They just usually look for something that's a low dollar amount that people may not immediately want to report just to see if the card is active. And then they use the number to make a, a larger purchase at a department store. Mm -hmm. um, so when you see this type of activity, especially with from the issue inside, the, the department store only sees um, when they start to reconcile things, right? We have this one bin that just keeps showing up, right? Mm -hmm. And trying to see what's going on with this one bin. Um, but if it's 
from the issuing side, sometimes it's not just one store, it's five stores. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's five stores in some in brick and mortar locations. And then sometimes it's online things. So as merchants, we internalize these things of why are they attacking us? And when the truth is, it's probably not just you. Yeah. <laughs> you're just you're just one purchase as a merchant and the consumer in the financial institution is dealing with a slew of other charges associated with the same card. So then it becomes like the game of who's going to report it faster. Will the issuing bank catch it? Will the merchant catch it? Will um, will the cardholder catch it? Uh, and so the fraudsters really try to go really fast with making these purchases to see who's going to catch it first or not. Um, I think from the, from the merchant side of things, when we see uh, test purchasing, uh, especially when it looks like uh, potentially prepaid cards. They have these names that, you know, it's hard. I know names are hard, right? Because you can think, oh, well, this, this could actually be someone's name, right? But sometimes they use names that are from popular reference, like a song or a movie, something that's clearly like a character, you know, the Mickey Mouse, right? <laughs> Mickey Mouse. I don't know how many people who are legally named Mickey Mouse right now and also have a high chargeback rate. So, <laughs> so even if you want to say the name is a problem or it, a problem to, to distinguish as, okay, this is obviously fraud. I definitely understand that. But if you look at the name in conjunction with other attributes, like, are we losing money because of this name? <laughs> it might be important to pay attention to it. So then we start to ask questions or, you know, I have uh, investigators and, and people kind of digging into the data, trying to understand how these things present as risk and how to identify them as risk. Um, so you have the, the same name showing up on all these cards and they don't really, because they don't understand how the products work, you have to kind of explain and teach people, well, with a prepaid card, you can go and buy a Visa card for a hundred dollar value. And when you put that information in to make a purchase, it doesn't actually matter what name you put, truly, because that's not a part of that type of product doesn't require that type of check, right? So the service codes associated with the cards, it shows like the capability of what's available from a payment perspective, what type of terminals and what type of purchases can be made. But in turn, we can also adjust our rules um, and in our strategies associated with the bins, the bins, the first six to eight digits of a card number will tell us what type of product it is. So what I found successful is when I look at, when I see a spike, I try to look at what bins are associated with that. Sometimes what I find is not widely distributed between multiple bins, it might be just two bins, one bin. So that means that this is a bigger problem for a financial institution mm -hmm. and it's showing up in, in this, in our ecosystem, right? So seeing it from both sides, you just, it's really important to understand like where these purchases are coming from um, and, and how they're presented and what's required at the time of authentication. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, thank you once again for this wonderful, insightful story and um, tips uh, and all the information. Uh, lastly, I'd like uh, to ask you to speak on um, the tokenization topic uh, just a little bit uh, for the audiences to learn a bit from you. So I I won't profess profess to be um, I shouldn't say that. So tokenization has its challenges as an investigator, right? Um, I am not 
it's not a for or against tokenization thing. It's just that some people have uh, used tokenization in certain ways and some people do not. Um, as an investigator, it's important that uh, our cross-functional teammates include us as stakeholders or include your investigators and downstream as, as stakeholders because understanding the downstream impact of not seeing certain types of data uh, outside of just tokenization, it could be just what uh, what's internally decided to be shared on to certain teams because of uh, PCI compliance and things like that, right? Um, yeah. But particularly one of the barriers that can occur with tokenization without the proper communication internally um, and with your payment service providers and other vendors, um, it limits your ability to do that breakdown of investigation by then if certain other, if other data isn't passed on with it, like the, the bank or the financial institution associated with the card or the, the type of card product, right? So there may be ways that to get around not having certain information, but it does require the awareness to know what you need and why. So you can articulate those needs and for the for the investigation appropriately um, and be included as a stakeholder. It's important to be included as a stakeholder uh, just so you can advocate for your needs um, and, and to do those more detailed investigations. Um, having that information does allow for us to make more targeted rules to prevent false positives. That's the whole goal, right? We want low, uh, high authorization, low fraud, right? That's mm -hmm. the that's the magic mm -hmm. the magic of the balance, right? Um, and we do have fraud fighters who's who are like deny everything. It doesn't matter if the authorization <laughs> rate is 60, 50, 40 percent, right? We stopped all the fraud, but they, there's the the thing that everyone always says, right? We hear this joke at every conference. You can stop all the fraud by just not selling anything. That's <laughs> how <laughs> you, you get rid of fraud losses, but you also get rid of revenue and we don't want to get rid of revenue. So we want to be revenue partners, uh, revenue protectors, not revenue preventers, right? Um, so part of that is understanding when you are in an environment where your data is limited or, or structured differently, um, because of internal choices or external uh, vendors, you want to understand what's, what you can leverage to make your investigations more effective. And you want, you need to know what to ask for. Mm -hmm. uh, well, wonderful uh, insights. I really, really appreciate you coming in uh, today as a special guest and providing all this knowledge. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, the audiences will enjoy listening to all the topics we touched on today uh, and learn a lot from this. Um, thank you, Rwanda. Thank you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to uh, today's episode. Uh, stay healthy and happy. Bye-bye.